Hello, gorgeous friends, and welcome to the Embracing Enough podcast. You know, I've always said that women and girls have some incredible stories to tell. And that's what we do here. We share our stories in order for others to feel seen, heard, and hopefully less alone. This is your host, Dina Skippa, founder of Enough Labs, and I am so excited that you're here. And this is our fourth season. I still can't believe it. When I started out this podcast, I had no idea of the types of stories that we would tell, and even more, the impact that we would have. And here we are, continuing to have some much needed conversations around our enoughness, our confidence, and how to own our truth. This season, well, we're doing things a little differently, choosing to shine a spotlight on those who are brave enough to be called a disruptor. We're going deep with folks who have chosen to disrupt things for the better, even if it meant that they had to be the blueprint to do it. It's gonna get real over here, but the hope is that you walk away from each episode feeling more inspired to be a disruptor yourself, whatever that looks like for you all while embodying the essence of joy, courage, and permission. Listen, I've been on my own journey of embracing my own enoughness for a very long time. And this season, it just feels like perfect timing to unpack what being a disruptor looks like and how it connects to our own personal definitions of confidence. Let's get into it. So here we are. I'm about to share an episode with you all that I recorded a couple of months ago. It was actually for another podcast who I recorded with someone who reached out to me, who asked me if I would be open to talking about what this new chapter of my life, of sort of rediscovering myself after divorce really looked like. I have to be honest, at first I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I had properly uh, or really thought about what this next chapter really meant. I feel like I've just been in it, but sort of unable to really take a step back and figure out what it all meant. And I was grateful to Ayalet, who sat with me, held space, and allowed me just to figure out what this new season next chapter of me looked like it was actually really healing because I got a chance to kind of take this introspective look get really honest get really curious about what messages I have been receiving over the course of my life that led me to that place of feeling like I needed to be chosen in order to feel good about myself. And when I let go of that feeling, I was in fact disrupting this long-held belief and charting a new path. And that path looked like choosing me, even though I didn't have all of the answers or even all of the clarity. Hell, even now. But I'm in it, willing to look at it and to be curious. So I hope this helps someone out there. 
So I feel like I was always someone who dreamed of having the wedding that only I could see um, and to be married to a partner who like understood the vision of partnership and family that we would create together. I just, it wasn't my primary focus growing, you know, going through my twenties and um, I was, you know, moved away from home to go to college and um, had experiences to go overseas and uh, did my master's in London. I was just kind of going for it. I was living life and out there dating um, until I was 28 and I met my partner at the time in Djibouti of all places. <laughs> and we had this whirlwind romance, you know, across across the, the, the world um, in a corner that I never expected to meet what I thought was the love of my life. And we had this, you know, our courtship was the kind that I felt like I saw in movies. <laughs> it was romantic. It was, you know, conversations that went on for hours and hours over amazing French wine, um, talking about how I grew up and how he grew up. And we just felt this instant connection. What it felt like was a love at first sight moment. And so my uh, partner at the time uh, was born in Djibouti, lived in France, and it felt like the epitome of the French word coup de foudre, which literally means a shock. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a lightning bolt when used in the context of talking about love. And so the whirlwind romance of the way we met and the way we continued to learn about each other and navigate the struggles of being in a relationship that for a lot of the time was long distance felt like it reinforced the strength of our love story. And it was sort of that love story that I, I couldn't wait to tell our kids one day that we were able to overcome so much adversity. And it was because of how strong our love was. And so I grew up in the United States. Um, he was living in France, visiting and working in Djibouti at the time. Um, and we were trying to figure things out for so long until finally he asked me to marry him. And that sort of set off this new era for me and decided to move to France to be with him. We got married in France. And then so, uh, I just want to ask, because you were yeah. saying how it kind of marriage wasn't really on your radar. You were going for it, the career, everything else. And then so did he just like switch it for you? Was yeah. it just the whole scenario or like what happened all of a sudden? Like, OK, maybe this is the dream. Well, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's we were dating for, I think, about six years before he proposed marriage. And in those six years, um, I was still very much like living my life, doing my thing, trying, obviously being in this relationship prior to meeting him. I guess I always was someone who held this belief internally that I said, I never want to feel like I've lived my life with regret. I want to make sure I'm doing everything that I want to do before what I think will occur when one gets married is that their life shifts and then they're 
living life in partnership with someone. And so you are making decisions together. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that I, I did everything I wanted to, um, and didn't feel like I had any thoughts of, gee, I wished I had, or I wonder what would have happened if. Um, so when I say it wasn't on my radar, it just, it wasn't a thing that I grew up thinking, oh my God, I have to be married by this age. But I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. So I think there it would be inauthentic for me to say that I didn't have visions of what I wanted a wedding to look like and what I wanted a marriage to feel like. And I definitely was thinking about, you know, creating and building a life with someone. Um, I definitely feel like I am someone who, just given the nature of watching my parents navigate um a not so great marriage and ultimately ending in divorce. Um, I didn't have a lot of faith and trust in commitment. So it was something that I desired, but I didn't fully believe it was like, I didn't fully trust it. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, the, the length of time that we were in courtship to being married had everything to do with, is this person really going to be there for me? Am I going to be able to be there for them? Can this really work in in addition to everything I, I, I'm looking to do in my life and everything that this person is looking to do in their life? How do we, like the, the idea of marriage sounds wonderful. The practice, the nitty gritty details are at times overwhelming. So um, I think when it happened, the hopeless romantic in me was like, yes, we'll make it work. <laughs> Because it also sounds like you went in with um, this idea that it's like all or nothing. Yeah. That once you take the step over, like that's it, you got to sacrifice everything else about you. There was a little bit about that. I I think I was holding true to this idea. I don't want to lose myself even when I'm married. But I think I was at times, if I'm being totally honest, overwhelmed to figure out how could I be this idea of what I thought a partner should look like um, and also going after these audacious big dreams and not, you know, really still stay true to myself. So it felt like a lot of, um, I hate to use the word sacrifice. It was, it almost felt like there was this constant negotiation of okay. who, who, do, who am I becoming inside of this marriage and, and who am I being at this moment, you know, and does, does it feel true and aligned for me? And it was, it was new. I'd never been married before. I'd never gone through the process of being engaged. I definitely had zero expertise or insight into how to navigate not only being partnered with someone, but being partnered with someone who was from an entirely different culture and were building a life in a country that was completely foreign to me. So creating entirely new networks, creating um a new routine, a new rhythm, a new sense of identity, you know, not only being married, but also making it work in France, uh, where we decided to live for the first couple of years of being married. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it has to look like that, but I definitely think that I had sort of this all or nothing mentality and, and, and trying to reconcile what it meant for me. And um, I'm just curious about like the, because you said the example you had from your parents wasn't ideal, but did mm-hmm. you have any other people around to kind of give you the advice or help you, or was it just a throw her in the deep end and hope she floats? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, when I thought about marriage, my unfortunately, my parents were not my model. They were not my blueprint. I would think about how my grandparents on my father's side were able to sustain a marriage for more than four decades, navigating, immigrating to the United States, having three kids, just life challenges. Um, I thought that level of loyalty and devotion was so admirable. Um, and so I think I looked at them a lot. But in hindsight, I sort of look at their marriage in a different light because they got married in a very different time. And the expectations of women uh, and men and gender roles and expectations and just the way that you communicate and process your emotions was like very different than my experience. I would look at my aunt and uncle who one generation, you know, after had successfully made their marriage work, but I didn't really see the depth and connection that I think I was craving in my own partnership. So I saw examples of successful marriages. I obviously had friends that were navigating their own marriages and was constantly asking for advice. The thing that I kind of always felt, though, is that I didn't really have anyone who had an answer that felt right to me. Okay. It was almost like I kept looking at everyone else's cheat code <laughs> and trying to say, oh, could I take that and make it work for me? Um, and it just never felt like it fit. Um, and I was trying to navigate this idea of partnership and marriage that fit into the way I was trying to build my life and by extension, you know, create a life together. Okay. So yeah. movies. And whatever oh, and crazy oh, blueprint no. you had. And <laughs> movies, I blame Hollywood and <laughs> the era of the 90s of every single, you know, rom-com that I can, you know, recite <laughs> from, uh, verbatim. But, yeah, they definitely influenced what I, what I thought this, like, storybook romance was supposed to look and feel like. And so the way that our whirlwind romance began and you know the insanely long love letters and the you know beautiful gestures of romance you know the the candlelit picnic that we had when we traveled to France together on the on the on the Seine River and just having these like movie scene moments that were special and sacred but it's it's just so much bigger than that so yeah, Hollywood. I got it out for you. <laughs> so then fast forward to where we are now. How did yeah. like how did it unravel? Yeah. You know, my partner was had gone through a divorce prior to us getting together. And I remember sitting across from him and asking, "So what was the reason that you and your former partner um divorced? What was what was the catalyst?" And he said, there wasn't one thing. And I was like, come on, there has to be one thing. Like, did you cheat? Did you, was there some kind of like, you know, big upset, a huge betrayal? There's got to be something. He's like, there wasn't one thing. And I had such a hard time believing that until I went through <laughs> it myself. <laughs> so my parents, and I share this pretty publicly, is that um, my parents decided to get a divorce because of addiction. 
So it felt like there was a very clear black and white moment, a transgression, if you will, that was like, this is a boundary. We're not, this can't, can't continue. For me, it felt a lot more gray. It felt a lot more nuanced. And so after the wedding took place, that was perfectly curated to every detail. Um, after building this life and making all of the efforts to create a life in France together and doing everything I could in my power to um, just be this ideal partner, um, there was this latent tug at my heart, at my spirit that was like, I just felt really alone. I felt like I didn't have the space to truly be myself. I felt a lot of times like I was just too much. My emotions and my feelings were too big uh, for the relationship. And it felt like I constantly was asking so much of him to um, really when it comes down to it is just to feel safe. You know, he was incredible and still is incredibly ambitious um, had all of these really big dreams to to make happen, as did I. Um, but I I sort of wanted to believe that there was this space where we could come together and sort of settle into one another and really make each other a priority. But there were so many times where it just felt like we were two ships crossing in the night. So I had this international development career and I was setting off to a new country probably every six to eight weeks. Um, so I was constantly on the road. He also was traveling for his work. Um, there was this disconnect in terms of being an American, living in France, trying to make all of this work. So not only feeling alone in a country without deep networks, I felt alone inside of this marriage trying to navigate new roles that, again, I had no insight into, being a stepmom, uh, being a partner, um, and, and navigating what this new chapter looked and felt like. I reached a point, it was about five years into living in this town in France, that I would find myself getting progressively more sad. I would remember these days that I would walk the canal in our town for hours and I would listen to different motivational talks and just I was on this quest to really figure out, like, what was I feeling to give language to it? And I would just cry. I would just cry and cry and cry. And I just felt so alone. And I said, you know, when I think about marriage and I think about what it takes to be successful in marriage, I feel like people need to feel like they're at their best. And that's not to say that you have to feel happy and at 100% all the time. You should be able to feel however you feel and have a partner that can support you. But I just thought to myself, I don't really have evidence or any insight into what this means, but I know I'm not being my best. And so I can't bring my best to this marriage. So I mustered up the courage. I did a lot of reflection and soul searching around it. And I asked, listen, I came to France. I've been trying to make this work, but I am having the hardest time here. I'm struggling. I feel I've lost three grandparents here. Um, I feel disconnected from my family, and I don't – I would hate to have a day where I'm just missing major moments back home 
and feeling disconnected from my family. Do you think that there is any type of opportunity or a scenario that we could live in the United States? And it was the hardest thing to ask for me because I was the one who was used to making concessions. I was like, well, I'm the one who speaks French, so I can come. Um, I can make it work and make this audacious step in my life and ask my company to to pay for me to work overseas and create a position that didn't even exist. I was the one making it happen. Um, so when I asked for something I needed, I was terrified because, again, I didn't trust that that actually existed. And so surprisingly, he was like, absolutely, we'll do this. I said, okay, well, how's it going to look? Because I'm a details person and I'm a planner and I need to make sure I've got everything in order and I know the exact timeline. He's like, we'll figure it out. And so I tried to quell my anxious attachment and just say, okay. Um, and I waited and waited and waited. And I waited almost four years in the U.S. Wow. waiting for him to make his way. There was just always a reason for why it couldn't work, why the timing wasn't right. Just be patient. And I found myself waking up on most mornings just angry, sad, depressed. I was just like, I want this to work so badly, and I feel like I'm doing everything in my power. Why can we not figure out a solution? And so it's, it's almost like death by a million paper cuts of just going through all of these emotions and where I talk, I've talked with friends since making the decision to, to separate and feeling like, wow, the signs were really there. I just didn't want to believe it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter why. But what matters is what I was feeling and what wasn't occurring. Because something had to be off for me to feel so insecure when it came to asking for my husband to be yeah. there for me, you know, um, in, in the biggest display of commitment and romantic gesture to actually be with me in the United States. But also when it came down to like really being in moments where I needed my partner by my side and he could not be there. So reaching a moment where it's almost like something turned in me. I recall very vividly the moment where I, you know, was talking to therapists about it and my family and trusted friends and, and saying, what, how do I know if this is the right thing to do? Like, what if the, the answer that I'm praying for is right around the corner and I'll have given up too soon? So There's no I want to know what, what did divorce mean to you? Mm. Like, well, I held off for a really long time, even though I knew that that was the direction that we were going in. Uh, it, to me, quite frankly, divorce meant I failed. Divorce I know, meant I wasn't trying enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know that there is a lot of stigma and meaning yeah. and like society looks at it the same way on the other side where getting married was the Hollywood right. version and that right. was supposed right. to solve right. all the problems. And also meant you had to like give up on what you need in order to make it work and you have to kill yourself to make it work. So what I was just curious, like besides, yeah, failure, what else does it mean for you mm -hmm. on the grander scale? Like, did it feel like a letdown for your family or was that not an issue for you? It wasn't a letdown for my family. It was more a letdown to my 10 year old self 
mm-hmm. who just wanted that love and romance to be like my happy ending. I think I shared with you before that walking down the aisle with my dad in a way that felt true and authentic to me, not in the sort of patriarchal norms of being given away. Mm. Um, I remember standing in front of everyone who was invited to our wedding and just feeling like swelling with pride that, okay, now I belong to the club. Now I have the sense of belonging that I'm like everyone else. And so it, it, it was almost like all of the pain and heartbreak that I had endured. Well, I went through it for a reason to get to this moment, to have this new chapter. So divorce meant I was lying to myself this whole time. Like I actually don't get the happy ending. The letdown was really for me of this core belief that good things can't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's the letdown of like, did I try enough? Did I do enough um, to to be the partner that he needed? Was you know it was all of the the toxic thinking that really boils down to gaslighting yourself, where you question your decision making and you question how valid your feelings are. Um, yeah. Well, I hear enough popping up, so I feel like now would be. <laughs> really good to find out how enough lab comes out and what's like is it even connected to the divorce yeah. or totally separate endeavor but now you can see how it might help mm-hmm. and then we'll go back to like the the bigger picture because I do think that there is a conversation to be had about the stigma of divorce and what does it actually mean and yeah. especially now that it's all over the place because we're it's like we don't have the manual of what a good relationship right. should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you like do figure it out, sometimes divorce isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, so as you know, I created the coaching and consulting practice enough labs, which is an unapologetically feminist platform and organization that supports women and girls on their journey to feeling enough, to embracing their confidence, to stepping into their leadership skills, and to just really get to the core of who they are. I was inspired to create Enough Labs after poring over this research that stipulates that a girl's confidence peaks at age nine. And when I read that statistic, it broke my heart because I remember where I was exactly right after age nine. That was sort of the descent in terms of the way I saw myself and the way I connected to what was great about me. I had so, I had a really tough time in, in fully seeing myself and what was actually great about me because my inner critic was running rampant. And so when I think about why I created enough labs, it was my anchor in a time that felt so uncertain. I launched Enough Labs in 2020. And as you know, that was the very start of the world completely shifting with the pandemic. Um, And I actually launched it three months before the pandemic hit. And so because I had so much uncertainty and so little clarity around what was going to happen for me and my partner, uh, I was also trying to... Um, have a baby at the time, working really hard at that. And, 
because the pandemic hit, I mean, I was already working on this because I was searching for some deeper impact. Um, and because I had worked in international development as a gender advisor for 20 years, you know, prior, there was a massive uh, connection between the work that I was doing in the gender equality and women's empowerment space and bringing this coaching lens to it. And I was really excited. And I needed something to be excited about because my marriage didn't make sense. Uh, I was clearly, I'm clearly an overachiever. And the very thing that I was pouring all of my energy into and having a baby was not coming to fruition. And, you know, clearly in this conversation, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that I don't like failure. So I'm like, let me do something <laughs> that I can prove to myself <laughs> that something is actually working. Um, and I think it was, when I say it was my anchor, it was something that I was able to cling to and give me this renewed sense of um, inspiration because I was not inspired prior and to. Yeah. Just to get it clear in my head. So enough labs came after the divorce or before? No, before. So did it give you that sense of enough to even take the steps towards that? Yeah. I mean, it's, I haven't actually really said this to many people, but I was coaching women for about a year and a half. And I got to tell you, when I coach women, the way that I can see their potential and their possibilities, like I'm your biggest cheerleader. So I could see, I wanted women to experience themselves in the biggest, boldest, most unapologetic ways in chasing their truth and their happiness. But I could not believe that for myself. And there was this massive sort of discord that I was experiencing internally that I thought everyone else that I get to work with gets to experience themselves as enough and whole and fulfilled. And maybe I'll get to that one at one point. I was unwilling to include myself in it. And so at times when I would be coaching women about stepping into their truth and advocating for themselves and, and speaking truth to power when it comes to what they needed. I started to look at myself in the mirror and say, how can you want it this badly for everyone else and not you? So I think it was a rumbling for me in my, in my gut that was like, uh, you have to be in alignment. Like you, you get to be aligned with what you're, what you're doing and saying and who you're being. And when things started to align more clearly in terms of me being integrity with myself, which mm -hmm. is what catapulted the decision to, to say, I, I think we're at the end of the road, um, had me uncover a different layer of myself. And I think because as women, oftentimes we will tether our identity or our perceived success to the roles that we play. And if somehow that falls apart, we then don't know what to do with ourselves. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, it was the hardest period of my life. I was no longer even capable of performing or acting like things were okay because that's what I was doing for years. I was literally it. telling everyone, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's tough, but we're going to get through it. And when people would ask, how are you, how are you sustaining? How are you just continuing to believe in this idea that isn't coming forth? Like you deserve to be with your partner. What's happening? 
And I would say, we're working on it. Don't worry. You know, um, I was lying to myself saying that I was happy and I wasn't, it wasn't enough for me, you know? Okay. So you spent all this time helping everyone else see how much they're enough and small slight tangent because every time you bring out this statistic and I keep thinking where was I at 10 years old yeah and I feel like my confidence took it much earlier Mm. do you you remember what contributed to it do you think no idea because I think it, it was so young and it's probably a combination of having younger siblings and them always ganging up and beating up mm-hmm. on me is enough to add on top of like everything and everything else. But it's yeah. um really fascinating to hear that it's specifically for girls. And the funny thing is for years in our family, we had this joke because my brother just self-proclaimed himself the favorite and would go around telling us that he is the favorite. <laughs> wow. So I'm sure Not that he's like a little boy running around going, how can I make these girls feel even less? But (laughs) indirectly, (laughs) right, right. But having that around, I'm sure did not help with the stories that I was telling about myself in my head. (laughs) And it's so interesting because that's really at the crux of the work that I do with Enough Labs. But inside of this conversation, it's so telling because the stories that we tell ourselves have everything to do with the experiences that we've lived and the people that somehow come into our orbit um, and and what role they're sort of playing. And so I think about the story that I've been telling myself and what it has to do with, you know, how um, how much permission I give myself to advocate for what I want and need. And the space in which I get to take up has for a long time, I've I've quelled it. I've tried to dim it because I wasn't sure how people were going to react to it. And I think physiologically, too, I mean, there's a lot happening um, inside of the adolescent brain as you're looking for connection and belonging and forming your sense of identity. And so I, when I think about this in the context of love, I think back to growing up in my suburban, you know, area of Massachusetts, looking at my high school and not really looking like anyone at that school. And so I didn't have an endless list of, you know, boyfriends or um, I wasn't being asked out repeatedly. So there was already this story forming that um, you're not chosen, you're overlooked. And so to, to be seen fully by a partner is something that you can idolize and dream about, but then you have it and it's like you don't want to let it go. Mm-hmm. Or so somehow you think you have it. So that also put off actually going through with divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up the, it is in the adolescent brain to want to be belonging and seeing. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think, because this is adolescent, and there mm-hmm. is that whole conversation that when women hit a certain age, like once again, we become invisible and no longer yeah. wanted or desired completely unseen. Yeah. And how does that factor in to either from the work that you do and what you've experienced with working with women or even around like the decision to get a divorce at this stage. How does that affect? I mean, I think this age, I mean, I'm 41 and I feel like this is the most exciting chapter yet. You know, you bring up this issue of feeling invisible. I actually have never felt more seen. Hmm. 
And I think what, what I want to stop and like, yeah, that again. (laughs) No, honestly, I, I just this morning was showing a friend who stayed over, um, pictures of my wedding. And she's like, you don't even look like that person. Like, it feels like you were so much older than you were in those pictures. And I was like, because I'm aging in reverse right now. <laughs> there's there's a glow that's present in me that was not present for the last 14 years of being inside of this relationship. My entire internal guidance system, if you will, whatever the, you know, my spirit was like turned all the way off because I was so caught up in being what I thought was expected of me and feeling like I was constantly failing at it. So in the spirit of moving forward powerfully in this decision, it felt like I was actually getting back to the realist version of me. And I think the difference, Ayala, is like really getting clear that I'm not trying to be seen by other people. I'm actually trying to get to the truth of who I am. So the visibility piece is so important. It's so interesting that you mention it like that because I'm like, well, who are you trying to be seen by? Who are you trying to prove that you are here, that you are visible? Because I think when you, and this is the work that has to occur before getting to this stage of life, because if you've been caught up in a story that you're trying to seek validation, approval, and belonging from everyone, everything, every place outside of you, then you reach a certain point in your life and you're like, um, it, that hasn't been doing it. I'm still feeling like crap. <laughs> So and nobody else cares. <laughs> nobody else cares. There's so, so much stock in what other people think um, that I think when you spent so much time putting stock in what other people think, it clouds your judgment of how you actually see yourself. And I do. I, I want to highlight back the fact they said that you looked older in yeah. those pictures because you were living yeah. for an ideal and not in your alignment and not for who you actually are. And it's come up with a few conversations and I don't, I don't know to just declare that it's because we've had to live this long to go through all these life lessons to get there. I really don't think it matters. I think some people go through stuff earlier and so they get to be aligned much younger mm-hmm. um, and others just don't. And they can be, you know, 18 and act like they're over the hill. Mm-hmm. That is, that there is that juicy, amazing thing about having gone through all of this reflection and the stories you tell yourself and realizing that, you know what, everyone else is doing the exact same thing. They're so busy looking good for me or for whoever else is around. They don't have time to think about me. So why do I care? And as soon as you let it go, I feel like that's the best, you know, the years just start going away and you get to be playful again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I always ask, I always think about what would be possible if women specifically allowed themselves to be more in that playful, creative energy of thinking, waking up every morning and and asking themselves, what would actually make me like have joy today or what brought me joy and really being like aligned with that? Because, yeah, the weight of carrying that need to take care of other people, making sure that you're meeting their expectations, creating this ideal in your 
mind and working tirelessly for it shaves years off of your life energetically, actually physically, like, um, and I think that, but I also really strongly believe that you have the breakthrough that you need to have in exactly the time that it takes. One of the biggest sort of pieces of criticism I've gotten from people or just not criticism, feedback is that, (laughs) wow, how did you stay in it so long? Why didn't you make a decision sooner? And I said, I actually think I made the decision in exactly the perfect timing. I needed to learn every single lesson from that. And I think if, you know, one thing I know that many women struggle with is trusting themselves and trusting the divine timing of their life. Because we're so caught up in this ideal of, oh, my God, I'm going to be late. I don't want to be behind. So it fuels the decision making behind. And I know I was part of it. It fuels the decision-making around, I have to get married. Okay, now I have to have a baby. Like, I wasn't concerned with the timeline until I started to be cognizant of the timeline and thinking, like, well, everyone else is doing this. (laughs) I can't be the last one. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot that we have. Like, it is an extra factor biologically, very scientifically for women. There Mm -hmm. is an actual timeline. Yes. And... It does affect, but it's interesting to find that, I don't know if you have the answer, maybe through all the work that you do, you discover it yeah. fully, of how to balance the waking up and just yeah. asking what will bring me joy. And, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, my body is telling me I've only got so much time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have the answer, but I think I have an answer. Okay. And that's, yeah, and I think... It's being able to be courageous enough to trust the plan of your life. Um, I think when it comes to wanting to have a family, I think just having clarity about is this something that you truly want or is it something that you just simply think you have to do because everyone else is doing it and you think that happiness or success is aligned with having these milestones achieved. And I think there's an enormous amount of pressure that we perhaps consciously or subconsciously are feeding into with social media. When you are someone desiring a certain outcome for your life, and no matter how hard you try, you're like, okay, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust. But then you're scrolling through social media and you can see everyone with their pregnancy announcements or the birthdays <laughs> and the, ah, you know, there's, there, it's, it's natural to sort of feel that pain and that longing. Um, but I think, you know, again, reinforcing your own enoughness and that it's not the achievement or the, you know, passing of certain milestones that gets to define, oh, now you're worthy. Because it's really understanding that it's not just about, okay, what brings me joy is like, I am enough in this moment. And yet I can still be driven and still want these things for my life and still want to create this beautiful, you know, existence. But I think really getting clear that your happiness is not contingent on being married, having the kids, with the house and the picket fence and the dog, like unless life can, that's aligned unless with exactly with what you need that, no, for you. There's no judgment, but I think it's like allow yourself to to dream that it can it can look like a million different ways. Don't there's feel like you're being pigeonholed. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. There's two things I wanted to ask. First of all, I wanted to ask, do you have a ritual of waking up every morning and just asking mm. what brings me joy? So it's funny you ask this because I thought about this this morning. So I had no <laughs> idea you were going to ask me this. Um, so I meditate every morning. And that has really been a solid practice around getting grounded in the present moment because my anxious brain will do something that I call future tripping, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I don't know what's ahead and I can't get grounded. So meditation is a really big thing for me. And I also sit on the edge of my bed every morning before I come downstairs to work on my, you know, working in my business, any meetings. Um, I take a, a couple moments. And I just look out my, my bedroom window. I have this patio off the, off my bedroom and I look out into what I can see here in Washington, DC and I express gratitude for the life that I've created because it's beautiful. Hmm. And I think about 12-year-old Dina that, like, we struggled financially, emotionally. There was a lot of hardship. And I'm I'm looking at the life that I've been able to create, and I'm just insanely grateful. Do I have everything I want? There's no way. But I'm super grateful for what I have access to in this moment. And after you've had your moment of gratitude, do you then ask the, and what will bring me joy today? Yeah. I mean, because I get to set the tone for what brings me joy every day. And I get to choose from, like, so many different things that get to bring me joy. I've actually started to be really intentional about the small moments of joy. Those, um, the walk with my dog. You know, the, um, a conversation with a friend, uh, teaching Zumba, which I love. Like, it's not about these big milestone efforts anymore. It's because I put so much stock in those before. Um, it's not to say that I don't want them anymore. It's just not taking central focus. And I think for me, a practice that really supports my, you know, really getting connected to how enough I already am is really waking up to a great cup of coffee, a walk with my dog, teaching Zumba, a stranger smiling at me, getting someone to respond back who wants to go out on a date or you know, whatever it is, just like really, really connecting with that playful energy. And it's, it's, I'm still a work in progress, but I'm, I'm really, really intentional about that practice. Nice. The other thing, um, cause we were mentioning all these, milestones and these goalposts of the marriage, the kid. And we started this whole conversation about divorce and that divorce isn't necessarily one of those milestones that we put on our grand list of achievements. And yet it is a milestone because it is still a major life event. And um, I'm curious to know if you had any, like, how did you commemorate this shift or did you not and wish you had, and what would that look like? Yeah, I mean, I love this question, and I've seen a lot of people commemorate their divorces with, like, divorce parties, divorce photo shoots, you know, different rituals. Um, When my divorce was finalized, I was at a retreat, a mastermind uh, for other female entrepreneurs in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic, and I had to step out of meetings to be on this 
like court hearing virtually because it was still this is how everything was happening. And I said, isn't this crazy that I am stepping out from this magical retreat in this business that I'm that I'm building, pursuing my dreams and I'm just pausing to finalize the divorce. Like I'm in this fabulous paradise island surrounded by people who love me and were supportive of me. And I told the woman who was facilitating a retreat, I was like, I'm going to have to step out uh, because today is actually my divorce hearing. And she's like, are you okay? I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know, actually. And it was so crazy because I stepped out and I'm nervous because I, again, another thing I've never done. And the divorce hearing lasts six minutes. Okay. There was nothing to you know, finalized. The details were really straightforward. We were both ending this amicably. There was nothing to contest. And he actually didn't need to be even present on the call because all the paperwork was submitted. And it, I had this moment where it was over in six minutes and I sat back on this couch and I thought, huh, is that it? Like oh, so much stuff. I mean, because because the, the emotional drama right, that went into like the whole process and reaching the decision, the hours of therapy, the agony, the tears on my couch, you know, and all of the beautiful moments too, the planning, the wedding, you know, um, blending families, the conversations to, for it all to be reduced into six minutes and then poof, dissolved. It just, it didn't sit well. And I, I honestly think I yell it that I'm, I'm still figuring out, is there a ritual? Is there something that's going to sort of mark it? And it is a milestone for me, for sure, because I think my life is now starting in a very different way mm-hmm. on my terms. Um, and I'm excited about that. But that's not to say that there isn't pain and um, and and just residual sadness, like grief for what, for what I thought could be and inevitably wasn't. But what gives me solace is like, I make trips to places like Dominican Republic (laughs) and like in a couple months, I'm going to Rwanda and London and I'm just living this beautiful life. And I think every day is my ritual that I get to wake up and be grateful. And it's, I get to access this gratitude because like two, three years ago, I was not waking up happy. I was in the, I was in like the lowest point of my life. So I think it's a daily ritual. Yeah. Well, I think for both sides, like I am married and I think marriage is a daily ritual because I wake up and I consciously say, I am choosing this person again today and every day, this is who I choose and this is the life I'm choosing. So yes, there's the every day. And also when you mentioned it, that it was like six minutes, like, well, weddings, technically, if you look at it, like, <laughs> not the religious ones, but if it's just going to the court, right. I didn't even get fully dolled up. I just put on a dress and we rushed yes. to the, get this little paper signed and you're like, oh, that's it. Okay. That's it. And then you have the big party, but it, it, and you can have that big, everyone comes together and you get that emotional climax and release yeah. of like, okay, we actually commemorated it. And it wasn't just the, we signed a paper and then it was done. And, and this it was sounds, substantial. Yeah. It sounds the same. You just signed the paper, but you didn't get to have the 
party, ceremony, the burning things, washing things, whatever it is. Like maybe you had it because you were at this retreat but didn't realize. Yeah. Maybe. I And I mean, it still doesn't feel, pardon the pun, it, it doesn't feel enough. I feel sort of left with like something's missing and I don't know what to fill that with. So I, I, I almost feel like I don't have an answer for you because I'm sort of in this new phase of, of searching. Like every, you know, I've talked to, to people about like what closure looks like and I you know you can access closure on your own and you don't need him or any kind of ritual. Okay. I, I don't know. Again, it's, it's sort of beautiful how this models what was happening when I was married is that I'm still searching for my answer. You know, I love how you said that every morning you wake up and you're like committing that you choose this person. I sort of feel like my ritual right now is I'm intentionally choosing me every morning and I, and I, and I recommit to that every evening because I'm in, I, I bookmark my days. Like I wake up, I meditate, I, I, before I go to sleep, I meditate. Um, and I don't think that I was as connected to that before getting married and while I was in my marriage. I wasn't, I wasn't really intentional about connecting with myself and choosing me. I was choosing what does everyone else need? And mm-hmm. I think that's the distinction right now. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know what, again, this is why we're having these conversations. I don't have the answer either. And for anyone who's gone through a divorce or has a friend, I also feel like I would like to know how I can best help and celebrate or commiserate or go through the grief or whatever that is for anybody who's going through divorce. Because one, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It is a major life change and definitely grief, I think, usually comes up when it's a future that you're not going to live out, you're kind of, you've lost it. There is a loss. So something could happen. And if for no other reason than to make it more than six minutes after so much time and energy and emotion and effort goes through to just be like, Oh, okay. I guess that's it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it, I, I would say to anyone listening who may know someone who will go through a divorce or is going through a divorce Something I can only see now on the sort of whatever this other side of it all is, um, is to ask people who are going through it, like, because it is real grief, um, but grief that people don't understand. And I think coming to people who are going through this process and just asking them, what do they need? How can I support you? Is there anything I can do for you in this moment? The hardest parts of the grieving process for me and navigating this mountain of grief that I had to claw my way through was being so gentle with myself and being so vigilant about who I let into my space physically and even on the phone because I couldn't hold all of the feedback and the you should have done this sooner. Well, now you should be happy. He's out of your life. Now you can finally move on. Like, it's just, it's not about, I still have feelings for him. It's, I'm trying to figure out what this all means because it's letting go of this, like you said, this future version of a life that you would put so much stock in. And everyone's process is unique. There is no, just like there's no blueprint to marriage, there is no blueprint to divorce. There's only your blueprint. There's only the way that it's made sense to you. And and you can't even make sense of that 
until you're going through it. But the longer you try to resist it and the longer you try to put on airs, like it's fine, it's going to take you longer. But just being really clear about sharing with people who can hold the uncertainty and the like opaqueness of what grief is. And I do think a big part, at least with friends that have finally come to share with me that that's what they're going through, kept it so quiet and so hidden for so long. Because I think the flip side, like we said, there's, I know we talked about being products of the 90s and Hollywood and that you have to get to the altar. And after that, nobody cares, but you just, that's the goalpost and that's where you go. And we know that that's what you're supposed to do. And anything that goes against it is shameful and should be hidden and not talked about and trying to change the stigma of, I mean, I look at it as a celebration because once that grief is gone, there's two new, fully functional, amazing people with so much experience that are ready to create another family or create another whatever that looks like. like, We should be grateful. We should be grateful. But echoing back to the 90s, I mean, what TV show can you recall that didn't have some monumental season where it was like the one where they get married? The, the wedding episode. And so it's like I'm thinking of Friends. I'm thinking of, you know, Beverly Hills 90210. I'm thinking about all these shows that I grew up with and seeing the ceremony of the wedding. And then there was never any arc in terms of the struggle that was in marriage. Coupled with, I mean, it's it's exciting to celebrate around ceremony of a marriage. But celebrating something that didn't work, it's like it doesn't compute in our brains. Because we're calling it didn't work. Because we're calling it didn't work. Because it's it, what what worked, the opposite of marriage is divorce. So marriage <laughs> works, divorce doesn't. And I also think I wished that while I was navigating some of the hardest times of marriage, that I could have had more honest conversations with friends that could empathize with what I was going through. But I felt, and this could have been, I fully recognize this could have been my own experience around it, but feeling like, am I the only one struggling here? Because no one's talking about it. And and I respect everyone's privacy inside of marriage. It's not, it's not for public fodder or debate. Um, but I think it's the isolation of, well, no one's talking about it. So I must be the one. Must be that's not wrong. This yeah. Got it. Again, I don't subscribe to this language anymore, but <laughs> it's just the reality of, like, what this can feel like. So I, I, what I'm taking away from this whole conversation is that you just hit it back on there is no right way for anything to look. And the more we normalize the fact that just because someone else's experience is not like yours, it's okay, too. And I think that's something that I, by myself, constantly preaching (laughs) and maybe that's why I get the people coming to me with whatever they they're going through but um I do think a big part is that you you're not allowed to talk about it unless it fits the ideal image and if who knows if it was more normal conversation maybe you wouldn't have stayed as long but having people come and tell you what it should look like doesn't really help at all at all amazing Anything else you want to make sure we cover or say? I think that you are incredible for creating this platform to give space and language 
to something that feels like it's outside of the norm. And I told you that this was a really big decision for me to share like this because it's the first time I've ever shared about it. Um, and I can't think of anyone else that I would have wanted to share this space with. And I feel like I've said everything and I'm just really grateful for it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, if there's nothing else that we're sharing for that conversation, what do you want to be acknowledged for? <laughs> All right. So again, I think the vulnerability it took. I said, I talked about things in this episode that I didn't even, yeah, just crazy. Just how much, yeah, how much courage this took. Yeah. Anything else? That's it. I acknowledge you for the courage and the vulnerability and for being an incredible role model. Thank you. With so, because you shared so beautifully and openly and gracefully. Thank you. And I know that whoever gets listened to it doesn't matter when will Mm -hmm. feel so much better. (laughs) Yeah. I want to acknowledge the internet gods as well. (laughs) For not disrupting us this time. <laughs> and for making I, sure I we were ready the, for this conversation. <laughs> I'm holding on the whole time. Um, please tell me when it's out because if you're okay with it, I'd love to also share the same episode on my podcast. I don't know if you're comfortable with that. Like if I could share the audio both ways just to increase reach. Um, and I'll of course say like this was a rec- an episode that I recorded with Ayalit, um on her podcast. And I think it's just, this was incredible. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. So I am slowly learning the editing side of things. Yeah. I will get yeah. it all set up. And as soon as it is uh, ready to go, sure. if you want, I can share the raw audio. If you want mm-hmm. to like, somehow splice it differently for your show, yeah. I can do that for you. If that That'd be helps. great. That would be great. But I, I absolutely cannot wait. I will promote everywhere. I'll send it to my list, social media. Um, Yeah, this is great. And any way I can continue to support you, please. Don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, we'll figure out a way. And I thank yeah. you for for being willing to <laughs> jump course. off the cliff and share it this publicly. Yeah, thank you for this. Thank you. It's made it future conversations easier. Yeah. Well, because you are enough. And the <laughs> more you, you lead as an example, the better coach you'll be. <laughs> this is clear. This is so clear. Um, I have to jump off to another call, unfortunately. But this has been just absolutely incredible thank you so much for it again thank you and i'll definitely i'll be in touch as things are moving along so you will definitely hear from me and know when it's great great i love it talk soon okay Bye. bye
Hey friend, thanks for listening. I'm so grateful that you took time out of your day to spend some of it with us here. If this show means anything to you, it would mean everything to me if you made sure to rate, review, and follow the show on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Especially, be sure to leave a review and let me know what you thought. I live for feedback. Because even though it's only me and my guest at times speaking into the microphone, into wherever you may be listening, I want this to feel like a conversation. So I want to hear from you. Lastly, be sure to follow Enough Labs on all social media platforms. Because remember, beyond this being a conversation, we're building a movement.